We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks. Hibbert denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, wow. Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits! This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today, as always, by Michael J. Focci. Focci, what a day to be a Pacer fan. You're celebrating that Wizards victory, and then boom, you get hit with a Shams bomb. What were your thoughts when you saw this come from Sham Sharania. Yeah, I was in the middle of work. I could be honest. I stopped working. I, I needed that moment to say, whoa, like this is what we've been waiting on. We are never included in those, those Woj bombs. Shams is never talking about us. So when that came out, I knew, okay, finally, like ownership, they might've come to their, uh, looked in the mirror and said, change has got to come. And it's kind of a little unexpected to see it after a win, but at the same point, I don't care when they looked in the mirror. I'm glad they did because we need some change. Yeah, so I'm sure everybody's seen it, but the tweet is from Shams. It said, sources, the Indiana Pacers are moving toward a rebuild, receptive to trade talks centered around Karis Levert and either DeMontis Savonis or Miles Turner. Story with Bob Kravitz at The Athletics. So if you guys don't know Bob Kravitz, he's been around Indiana for a very long time, covering all Indiana sports from IMS to the Pacers to the Colts to even some college teams at times. I mean, Bob Kravitz has been around for a very long time. He's very familiar with the brass at, at the field house and in charge of running the Pacers. So he, he knows a lot here. And so a lot of this to me was stuff coming straight from the mouth of the front office here. Everybody got excited because you never have seen the Pacers be openly saying they're going in a rebuild mode. And so with them kind of doing this though, it, it, it just kind of feels like it's not a complete rebuild, Fachi, based on what was reported in this article. If you're only moving Karasovar and or one of the centers, to me, this feels more like a retool than a rebuild. Yeah, I definitely don't think this is a flat-out fire sale where it's like, hey, we're shutting it down, you know, to take anyone you want. I think this is very much like one of those bigs is getting moved. And if there's the right package for Levert, that's probably happening too. Um, I, I wouldn't even put, I know he wasn't mentioned in there, but a guy like Justin Holiday, who's a veteran, like I wouldn't say that, you know, he's not off the table by any means. He could, he could easily be included. So depends what the package is, but I do, the key word was either big. I don't see the Pacers moving both Sabonis and Turner. Yeah, I think they owe it to at least 
you know, at least actually to both of them to, to give them a chance. If we do move one of them, I think we talked about that on the mailbag podcast a little bit, and there's a little bit more in here that I think is worth mentioning. Um, Sources tell The Athletic that Warren has expressed to management that he'd like to remain in Indianapolis. So that's T.J. Warren, who's on an expiring deal, coming off of an injury, still kind of you know rehabbing and working his way back. But we're hoping that he's back, preferably in January at some point. But there's no rush now to get him back because the team has decided to go in this route. I, I think Carlisle came out and said it before the Heat game that he would not be playing in December. That would be pushed back to January. I, I think with the, everything going on the way it has, and we know that McConnell got injured in that Hawks game, the team probably knew that this was something they were looking into. And instead of their target date, which was rumored to be around that Rockets game in December, they pushed it back because there's no reason to bring him back right now. And he has really no value at this point. But just a couple other things here, Fachi. Uh, It says, in the past, team president Kevin Pritchard has tried to convince owner Herb Simon a rebuild is necessary, including in 2017, but Simon demurred. Now, Simon, according to sources, who's 87 years old, has gotten on board with the idea of a rebuild. So 87 years old, Herb Simon, you know, he's getting up there in age, finally signed off on a rebuild, but it doesn't feel like it's the full thing. And if you continue reading a little bit more, they don't feel like they can go all the way into a complete rebuild, but they feel like there's still, you know, there's an opportunity here to make some moves, but not just completely go OKC Orlando type where they're just playing all a bunch of young guys and, uh, you know, not allowing the other guys to continue to play and try to compete for uh, for wins. Yeah, I mean, one thing in the article that was telling, almost, you know, sad, but gave me a little uh... – Little laugh, I guess. It said the Pacers are dead last in attendance at just over 13,000 per game. So, how much worse can it really get? And it was like, oh my God, I hope that's not a dare. But at the same point, they were right where it's like, if you make a move and you're going to suffer a little bit in attendance, I mean, if you're already last, it's not like we're going to set a record and all of a sudden we're only going to be drawing like 5,000 fans per game. That's not going to happen. So if you're last in attendance, you're last, whatever. I don't think you need to worry about that. I think you need to worry about making the best moves for the future of this team. Um, you know, you mentioned about not rushing TJ Warren back at that point. At this point, that, that's perfect because, look, if the guy's played four games in basically the last calendar year, uh, you don't want to have him miss another time. This is He's a free agent. So also, you know, you got to be thinking he might not want to be pushing to come back before he's fully ready because – it's a, it's a huge contract year for him. Um, yeah. Then you mentioned TJ McConnell. We got the news from Woj, dropped the bomb. Uh, this was just Pacers being included everywhere that McConnell is going to be out for, quote, months. And when they say months, they mean potentially the rest of the season. So that's a big loss for the Pacers now. They're very thin at point guard. So, you know, we're not going to – I mean, we already wouldn't – we couldn't move TJ McConnell for, for a while. I think it was December 15th, but regardless, he's probably not going to be moved this year because he's probably not coming back this year. So point guard, very thin. It, it was, that might've been the straw that really broke the camel's back to say, man, we lost McConnell. Warren's delayed. You know what? At this point, I don't think we can continue to keep pushing forward. And I respect this decision. Yeah, no, I mean, if McConnell's got a wrist injury, he's already got the money guaranteed with the contract, right? I think is at least three years are fully guaranteed. The fourth year is mm-hmm. a team option or it's a, a player option. One of the two, I can't remember. I think it's team option, but yeah, you know, with the McConnell news and the Pacers did tweet that he did have successful surgery today. Everybody kind of anticipated that it would be a little bit of time before he came back. Nobody knew the, the depths of how severe it was, but we heard Carlisle say it was weeks, not days when it came to McConnell. So nobody really knew exactly what that timetable would be, but Um, The last quote here that I want to read, which has made its rounds on Twitter, but just to kind of throw it back out there, the Pacers don't want to embark on a long-term process or a -a tankathon because it's fiscally hurtful and the Indianapolis market won't stay engaged, even if fans understand the necessity of starting over. But after several years in NBA purgatory, management has decided it's time to shake things up. So really what what that quote says it's kind of funny to me in a, in a sense because fans aren't engaged right now anyway. I mean, and, and it's, and I think that they would actually be more engaged if we did go full on rebuild. So people that are like, Oh, finally we're blowing this team up. We're going to have some major shakeups. It's like, 
they the headline says that, but then the context of the article doesn't say that. So I'm not exactly sure what direction they're going to head in, but let's just talk about the three names mentioned here, Foch. Lavert, Sabonis, and Turner. What do you think the value is for those three players? It, it's really tough. Lavert's value is down. Um, it definitely is. So he's. I try to play around with the trade machine today. It's it's hard to find a great fit for him that brings in a return that's worth it. Then when it comes down to the, the centers, I mean, there's really not a major need across the NBA for centers. Obviously, Sabonis and Turner have value, but you got to imagine that whatever we bring back is probably not going to be a home run deal necessarily. It could be a, a, a young player and kind of an expiring contract, a first round pick, you know, that type of things. I've worked at a few trades, which I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss later on, but man, I, I do think there's going to be more people calling for Turner due to his fit on teams, a, a defensive big that a is the best shot blocker in the league that can hit threes at right now, you know, about 40%. While Sabonis is that guy that, you know, maybe there might be a little bit less of a need for, but is definitely the player that's probably bringing, you know, more to the table on a nightly, consistent basis. Yeah. You know, it's I felt like Levert's value is down, but at the same time, there's, I mean, the Pacers have good players, right? And we saw Zach Lowe in his article talk about how they got a lot of fourth options, and, and Sabonis is a third option on a really good team. So to me personally – hey, let's look and see what's available here and, and just kind of look at the market because if you can trade Levert for picks and a salary filler and maybe a young player, like, hey, that might be worth it. Or, you know, or because like if everybody trades a pick, like let's just say a team like the Lakers want Karis Levert off their bench or want to put him in their starting lineup and they want to make some trades. Well, how, I mean, what is that pick really going to be, right? So I think when you're trading to teams that are contenders – they have to attach a young player has to with that because to me it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you know take back an expiring contract and a pick that's not going to be very good because sure you're getting something back in terms of an asset in that pick but how good is that asset right I mean you can find good value in picks right Foch later in the draft if you know what you're doing but at the same time you know your whole goal is to try to get in the lottery so I think that's why like teams like Minnesota could be enticing because they've there's been some rumblings around them wanting Miles Turner. I think that could be an enticing team for for Miles specifically if you're wanting to get draft capital because they're right there in that play-in game. They're I think they're above the play-in game seating wise right now in the Western Conference. But anything could happen and they could easily miss the playoffs because of how tight the race is out there and in that like five to like ten range or six to eleven range, whatever it is. I think that's the kind of route you want to go. Sacramento is another team that makes a lot of sense. Just because if you can somehow get a first-round pick from a team that might make the lottery, then you're talking about, hey, maybe you make the lottery, plus get another lottery pick. Now you're talking two lottery picks. That's that's the best way to rebuild to me. Oh, make no mistake. that That is the way to rebuild. I mean, when the Pacers, I was dying to see if there was a way to get another pick last year. We were picking yeah. at 13. I mean, if we could have really worked on a trade with Sacramento – and basically been picking at, you know, what was it? Uh, like, I think it was eight, eight and 13, it would have been, or nine and 13, I think it was like nine and 13. Um, I mean, that would have been awesome. And if the Spurs were in that rumbling at one point, they were picking 11. I would have loved to have picked 11 and 13. So that is the way to do it. But when I was really trying to crunch out some trades, it was tough. I mean, teams that could be appealing for, for you know, a few of the players that we named. I mean, Charlotte, I think, Philly, um, the Kings, Looking at those teams, I mean, obviously there's Golden State, but you're looking at those teams that are in it, but not maybe all the way there. I know Golden State is really good this year, but we've obviously heard that they have interest in, you know, potentially Sabonis or Turner. But the Kings were a team that I had my eye on because if there is a pick included, it could be a good one. Um, or maybe if the Pacers try and make a big splash, and it is a guy like De'Aaron Fox, they try and make a move for because – they have drafted Davion Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton in the last two drafts. That That's where you might want to take a look at. But, you know, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, Portland's got some stuff going on right now where they might be looking for some changes. So they're that team that maybe if there is a first-round pick in there, Portland not having the type of year that they want. I mean, who knows where, where that becomes, that pick. Are you, are you ready for me to give you my two fake traits, Fletch? Oh, bring it on. Okay, so I did one centered around Sabonis and one centered around Turner. 
I did not want to come across as biased in any way. So I try to be fair and look at both options. So my first one here is between the Pacers and the Kings. It's centered around DeMontis Sabonis. So the Pacers are going to be sending out Tory Craig, Jeremy Lamb, DeMontis Sabonis, and Karis LeVert to the Sacramento Kings for Harrison Barnes, Damian Jones, which would be our third string center, and De'Aaron Fox, a point guard that a lot of fans would be excited to have. And, and De'Aaron Fox just signed a five-year deal. Um, $28.1 million is in that first year, and we'll see what it continues to go at. But De'Aaron Fox is a little bit younger than Domas, and I feel like that is a nice little way to kind of retool the roster. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is if Sacramento would be willing to do that. I mean, De'Aaron Fox, I know that's that's, that's a franchise guy right there, so – it would be tough. Um, I mean, so it was basically it was Sabonis, Toy Craig, Lavert, and and Jeremy Liam for basically De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes. I mean, does that make the Kings that much better? Is the real question. Well, you got Davion Mitchell, you've got Tyrese Halliburton, you've got um, they still got what's his face, uh, Rashawn Buddy Holmes. Hill also, Buddy, they got Buddy Heald. They still have Marvin Bagley, who they can move. They can move Buddy Hill too. I mean, there's still you're not taking away all their assets where they still can't make moves. And I will just throw this out there so anybody that's like, oh, this is such a homer trade. I sent this to two different people that had no bias towards either team. They're not Kings fans nor Pacer fans. Threw it out there to them and said, hey, what do you think of this trade? And they said, honestly, that's a really pretty fair value because look, Sabonis is a two-time all-star. De'Aaron Fox is not. De'Aaron Fox also has no three-point shot, right? So De'Aaron Fox has holes to his game. Similar to the Pacers drafted a bunch of bigs. They drafted a bunch of point guards, guys that can handle the ball. You add Karis LeVert into that mix. I, I think that that is someone that can help with that ball handling duty if you let De'Aaron Fox go. I mean, Karis LeVert's still a good basketball player. He's not a bad player whatsoever. It's just, what is his value? But I think, you know, you're not going to get a De'Aaron Fox back with a Sabonis Lamb kind of trade, right? No. So to me, you have to throw Levert into this mix. I everyone's like, that's a lot of salary, but it makes sense. And then you got Harrison Barnes, who I think could be been a you know, be a good player on this team. He's played for Carlisle, but he's also got two years left on his deal. So if you don't deal him this year, I mean if you don't if you if you deal for him this year and you're still wanting to rebuild, you could easily flip him, kind of like how the Pacers got Karis Levert from the Rockets in a three-team deal. Or you could save it, let him play it out, and then trade him maybe next offseason because I think there'd be a lot of value for Harrison Barnes just being what he is, a stretch big who can play the four and the three. Mm -hmm. Could be. No, there very well could be. I mean, if the Kings – I'm wondering if the Kings would be on board because I do think the Pacers would be on board. My trade at Sacramento that I had was centered around Sabonis and Levert, and this one was, this was including a first-round pick, but it's a protected pick. So depends how, how great protections the Pacers can get on it. I would like to have it at least be top 10 protected. Um, and it was in return, the Pacers would get De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley. So it would be similar. You're getting the point guard, and then you could move Brogdon to shooting guard, uh, which I think he'd be better at. Um, and you're getting Bagley where you could roll the dice on him. I mean, at that yeah. point, you know, I, I do think that Bagley has more potential than what he's been able to show. Needs a change of scenery for sure. But I think we're, we're, we're thinking pretty similar things here. I think when it comes down to Fox, I think they would want a first-round pick in there, even if it is protected. But we basically have a similar core of uh, Sabonis and Levert. Just I don't know if the Kings also part with uh, Harrison Barnes. Yeah, I don't think they're in love with Harrison Barnes. I think that they're willing to make some changes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, yeah. And Marvin Bagley's value is so low. It feels like you're underselling what you're getting for Sabonis and Levert because, quite frankly, I mean, if you're giving up a pick too, like – Sabonis is making 18.5 million. De'Aaron Fox is making 10 more than that, right? So, and Sabonis is, well, what? A two-time all-star De'Aaron Fox is not. I'm not saying that, you know, Sabonis is better than Fox, but value-wise, I think they're a little bit closer than people give them credit for, especially knowing they got Davion Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton on that roster. Um, you know, if they were so in love with Fox, why would they draft those other two guys? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I think that, if you're adding a pick in there, that doesn't help with your rebuild, in my opinion. I know it's lottery protected, but still, um, how long does it go out for? You know, that that's the whole thing. Like, what's the restrictions on a pick? If I'm the Pacers, I'm not trading any picks whatsoever. I'm trying to acquire picks for any deal that I get. If I'm not acquiring picks, and I want to acquire a young player without giving picks up. So that's the only difference I think we have in terms of, like, 
what we're going after to get because you know, the Kings are probably trying to win a little bit more than I think the Pacers are at this point. Because That's why I think they keep Barnes, because they keep trying to push forward a little bit. So, you know. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. But let us uh, let me move on to my second one. I and mean, this one is a little bit more of a, hey, we're really going to embrace a rebuild here. Um, but you're not giving up picks. You're going to get young players back. So this is a three-team deal between the Pacers, the Warriors, and the Hornets. And you're going to probably laugh when you see the players that I have coming back because they're two of my favorites. But the Hornets are going to get James Wiseman and Damian Lee from the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors are going to get Miles Turner. The Pacers are going to get Ish Smith, P.J. Washington, and Moses Moody. P.J. Washington, Ish Smith, Moses Moody, and we're sending out Miles Turner and who is it? That's it. Miles Turner. That's it. I mean – yeah, if, if, if you could do that, then I'm in. I'm in. Well, here's here's the thing, right? Because Golden State, and I, and I explained this when I sent this trade out because they're like, maybe Golden State needs a pick. And I said, well, here's what you got to realize. Golden State, they give up Moody, who's somebody that's not really in their plans right now. Uh, Wiseman is a guy that I think that they value, but at the same time, they're trying to win right now with Steph Clay and Draymond. I think that Miles is a very nice fit with that starting five, with Andrew Wiggins in there. Then you look at their bench. Who has been some of their key guys for this core? Uh, They don't give up Jonathan Kaminga, which is a guy that they seem really high on. They seem more high on him than Moses Moody. Obviously, that's why they drafted him higher in this year's draft. Uh, Gary Payton II has been a nice fill in there for him, but Jordan Poole's another guy that they really like, right? And he's been a bucket for him at times. And, of course, you keep Kavon Looney there, someone that knows that system better than anybody as that backup center, and you got Andre Iguodala as well. So I think you're building their team pretty well. All they're really giving up is Wiseman and Moody in this deal. They don't have to give up anything else. They don't have to give up Kuminga. Um, because if I'm the Pacers, I, I think that if they wanted to uh, get Sabonis instead of Turner, I would ask for Kuminga back instead of instead of P.J. Washington, Ishmith, that kind of route. Because to me personally, like P.J. Washington has had a bit of a down year this year. He's regressed quite a bit. Um, he's going to be up for a team option next year, and he's going to be up for a contract extension coming up sooner rather than later. Um, Ish Smith is just a better backup point guard to me in, in terms of what I like that he brings to the table over TJ McConnell. And then you already have the McConnell injury too. So that does kind of help you there. But if I can get my hand on, if I can get my hands on two young players for Miles Turner, that's something that I really value. And if you look at the um win totals on this trade value it said that the the warriors would actually get a plus three in wins and i just think that turner helps them right now over what wiseman would do especially uh moses moody as well i had a very similar trade so i'm on a similar wavelength as you but my trades were just two team deals it's always hard to rope that third team in so essentially what i had was turner and keelan martin going to golden state for wiseman moody and kevin looney's expiring not sure if they do it but if we could get our hands on Wiseman and Moody, that would be amazing towards a rebuild. I know Goga's the guy that then all of a sudden, once again, you know, there's another center in front of him. But, you know, it, it's just at that point, it's, sorry, Goga, it really hasn't worked out. So, um, you know, I'd be curious there. But rather than break this one down, I'll give you a new one. This one, I don't know if this really has any legs at all. But what if it was Miles Turner to Washington for Rui Hachimura, Danny Avia, and Thomas Bryant? Now. Rui has not played this year, and you know he's a really promising power forward. So it's easy to forget about him. Avia is a really good defender, and then Thomas Bryant, he's a good center who's coming off a torn ACL tear. Also, ironically, has those ties to IU. But I, I just feel like right over there, if you if you're heading towards maybe a can we get cheaper, younger, promising guys, you're getting a few of them over here as Washington tries to push forward and and win this year. What's the story with Rui Hachimura? What's going on with him right now? Something's going on. I don't know the specifics. And before the year, it was personal reasons. Then they shifted towards that it might have been an injury. I have no idea what's okay. going on, but something is happening behind the scenes. You know, I've liked Rui Hachimura. I've talked about him a little bit and some Killed other trade ideas. Yeah, and, I, and I've talked about some of the things I like about him, and that would be very Pacer-esque to go after a guy that's younger that's killed us. I think that he fits a position of need, right? You need a you need a power forward. I'm just a little bit concerned, I guess I should say, with what's going on right now because if he's got injury problems, if there's off-court issues, like 
personal reasons, not not anything against them, but if there's other issues going on, then I'm a little bit hesitant. Um, Denny Abdulia is a guy that, you know, uh, he's had a pretty good second year. Is this the second year? I think it is, right? It is. It is. Yeah. So he's uh, had a pretty pick. Yeah. So he's had a pretty good sophomore year. I get why they might like Miles Turner, but they already have Gafford. They already have Montrez Harrell. Um, don't know if he's the perfect fit there, but all in all, Fach, I, I think that we have some decent ideas. So um, don't want to get too into too many trade ideas. We'll come up with some more as we go along and maybe look at some players we'd like to target. But, you know, there are there are several teams out there to me that could easily fit Miles Turner into their system more than Sabonis. But I think that the right team could offer more for Domas than what you'll get in return for Turner and his value. But I think both are very uh, movable in a sense. And I think Levert is a guy that could really help, just not sure exactly what team wants to bring him in and what kind of role he'd be willing to accept based on where he's traded to. And that's a great point because in, in every trade where I tried to work Levert in, it seemed like, I mean, a lot of teams have shooting guards. They, they, they do. And I know Levert could play a few different positions, but it really seemed like in most trades, if he was going to fit there, it would be with him having to accept being a six man role. And if he wants to be a six man, he could be a really good six man, but it comes down to if he's going to accept that or not. We don't even need to dive into it. Just real quick, the last trade I was going to do was Levert and Justin Holiday to Portland for Anthony Simons, Nazir Little, and Robert Covington's expiring. Be Portland, they're trying to win right now. You give them Holiday, they can prove their defense. You give them Levert, they can prove their offense. Simons is a, is a blossoming young player. Nazir Little needs more time. And Covington, he's, he's a good veteran that's expiring. That was the one trade where I was able to move Levert in if he's willing to accept the bench role. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of getting Simons on here. I like him um, a lot. Yeah, I, I think we need to maybe just sit down and do some homework and, and look at some potential young guys that would be intriguing for a rebuild, right? Like, there's some people in New York that I think would love Miles Turner on that roster. I think Tom Thibodeau would love him some Miles Turner. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I, I think this is what we need to keep an eye on. There's also reports out from the Indy Star that the Lakers are interested in trading for Jeremy Lamb. So... That's a guy that I think also will be in the trade mix as well. I think Justin Holiday, though, that's another name to keep an eye on because he's, what, 31, 32, 33, mm-hmm. something around there. He's a good player. He's a good shooter, good defender. He's pretty much been an Ironman. COVID's the only thing that held him out. So um, I could see teams being interested in having him, but he is apparently not vaccinated, according to um, what I heard on the morning show. So if he's not vaccinated, then you have limitations to where you can trade Justin Holiday to unless he's willing to get vaccinated if he's traded to one of those teams like New York or California. So, or um, Toronto. Or Toronto, correct, because they have just changed their stance on the vaccine as well. So just a lot of things here to throw out. But all in all, I think that, you know, we got to be open to whatever here in terms of which big you get rid of. And I think that if you're looking at wanting to do a soft rebuild, it, to me personally, you know, Domas is a guy that's got more clout amongst the league, right? He's got more of a value attached to him. But at the same time, I think Turner fits in better with trades for other teams. So it probably will be easier to trade Turner. You'll get more calls about him than Domas, in my personal opinion. But I think there could be a team that maybe offers you enough to make you say, okay, I'm going to swallow hard here. I'm going to I'm going to do this deal and we're going to we're going to kind of rebuild with Malcolm and, and TJ and, and Miles and, and, and Duarte and Isaiah Jackson and go that route. But Fachi, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'll be a first time guest on our show. The new co-host of Kevin and Query. It's Jake Query. He's no stranger to Indiana sports fans. So Jake will be joining us right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Joining us now, making his debut on Setting the Pace, it's the one and only Jake Query from Kevin and Query and also Query and Schultz. Um, Jake, what's going on, man? Not a lot, gentlemen. I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, it's funny, a week ago or so when you were gracious enough to ask me to join you guys, yeah, you know, I'd be happy to do it. And little did we know that it would come kind of at the time of a flurry of certainly speculation about the Pacers. I don't think that that shocks anybody that that the Pacers would be in the midst of kind of a rumor mill, but to have it, you know, this eminently or this kind of directly based upon me coming on, I guess it makes it fun, right? So we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, no doubt about it. So I, I guess just kind of like, you know, you know, Bob Kravitz, he's been around Indiana for a very long time. Uh, he breaks a story with Sham Sharania. I don't think anybody was surprised to see that they were um, willing to make moves, but I just think that they're openly saying that they're going to rebuild is something that I haven't really ever seen from this Pacers team um, since, you know, since I've been watching them, I guess you could say. And then to go on the fact that it doesn't seem like it's a full on rebuild, but more of a retool. I don't know what you got from that article, but anything that you want to share in terms of what you, you got from reading that, uh, just let us know. Yeah, I will say this, a couple of things. First off, you are correct. I do know Bob. I know Bob well and like Bob a great deal. I have a, I have a great amount of respect for Bob Kravitz because I know him, you know, journalistically speaking, and I've been a bit, you know, able to be around him pretty closely over the course of the years in the Indianapolis market. So I think that Bob Kravitz is very, not only scrupulous in his reporting, but also very thorough. So I think when Bob has a report, you know, it's not coming off of rumor or innuendo to him. It would be because people who would be very close to it have told him that. So I think that, you know, it certainly is reputable. All that to be said, I think there's an interesting dynamic in play here because, you know, I've talked to a lot of people lately about just Herb Simon and the Simons in general and their direction with the Pacers and, you know, the franchise and, and making sure and being aware of the fact of, of fan interest within the franchise and the competitive nature of it. And look, I know Herb Simon wants to win and Herb Simon wants to win, you know, obviously soon, but I know that Simon has always been in both of the Simons, I think have always taken great pride in being loyal people. And by being loyal people, I mean that whoever they have running the franchise, I think that they feel that patience is a virtue and that time should be extended to those. And you look back, for example, at Donnie Walsh when he first came here as the general manager. You know, it, it was not all gumdrops and lollipops for him in the beginning. And there were people that were very disenfranchised with the direction of the Pacers and thought that Donnie Walsh needed to go. And the Simons were patient with him and they were loyal to him. And obviously it paid off. And then what you saw long-term in terms of their direction for the franchise was you could say that the Simons were loyal from Donnie and then moving into Larry Bird, but the reality is there was really no reason for them to be anything other than because the direction of the franchise was pretty stable. I mean, yeah, we can make, you know, the points of Larry Bird and some of the drafting or when Larry was gone and Donnie filled in and the drafting of Plumlee. You know, there were some mistakes for certain, but for the most part, it was a franchise that obviously was in the upper echelon or competitive within the NBA. So there wasn't need for Herb Simon to analyze it. So I think that's what makes it interesting is that when you look at Kevin Pritchard, do the Simons, and by that I mean obviously Herb and then, you know, Mel Simon is passed away, but you have still the family within itself that runs the franchise and owns the franchise. Do they have the same patience with Kevin Pritchard or is Kevin Pritchard now feeling the necessity to make moves because he feels like the clock is ticking on him? You know, I think there might be a little bit of truth in the middle there. Um, but Kevin Pritchard is known to be aggressive. He's known certainly through the trade portals of being aggressive. You know, free agency, um, 
you're a little bit maybe handcuffed because it's Indiana and it's not Miami or Los Angeles. I think we know that. But Pritchard has had a good track record when it comes to trades for the most part. He's been aggressive on trades, in particular going back to his time in Portland. So I do think – I don't think there's anybody on Indiana's roster that's untouchable. Obviously, we know contractually Malcolm Brogdon falls into that category. But outside of that, I think you have a lot of players that are good players. I don't think necessarily that they have the chemistry of meshing into a great team. They don't necessarily seem to be a team that has cohesiveness in terms of just their style on the floor. So does that mean that they make tweaks? Does that mean that they make major overhaul? Again, I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. But they have pieces that all probably have some desirable nature about them, you know, like a Levert, like a Domas Sabonis, like a Turner. I don't know how much return on investment you're going to get when you're sending those pieces away. But there are pieces there that are that can be put elsewhere. I just don't know. Like Domas Sabonis is a centerpiece for the Pacers. I don't know that there's a franchise that he would be the centerpiece for that's willing to trade for him. So you're going to get probably complimentary pieces for him. The same can be said of Levert. My the one thing I will say, at the risk of being long-winded and circuitous here, but to put a cap on it, in my opinion. The guy that I think is the one that I would dangle the most is Levert because I think he's talented. I think he's a dynamic offensive player. I, I don't think that he has shown a cohesiveness with this particular unit. And he strikes me as a guy, quite frankly, and Karis Levert that I think of as my proverbial, I always call it a 25-20 guy, a guy destined to, to win 25 games a year and average 20 points per game in those games. I just don't see enough evidence that Levert is a guy that makes other people on the floor better. That's not a personal knock on him. It just seems to me to be the observation of his style of play. It's a great point. I mean, we've seen Levert succeed on some of the lower Nets teams, and then we saw him look really good when the Pacers weren't looking great last year. So expectations for him were sky high. Um, But I thought one of the key words in the article was trade either big. Is there a scenario in your mind where you could see – both bigs being moved, or is that just crazy because they never truly gave one of them the chance to be the big except for Turner in the early stage of his career? I don't think anything is off limits. I think, you know, again, I go back to if you look at kind of the mantra of the Pacers and the NBA in general, but if you look at at the Pacers, what they have said forever, and that is you explore every trade if it makes your team better. So in other words, and I'm obviously going to throw out a ludicrous hypothetical here, okay? But, (laughs) you know, are Miles Turner and Domas Sabonis both on the trade block, and could they both be dealt? Well, you would say no, but then what happens if all of a sudden in some wild and crazy scheme, the Brooklyn Nets say, you know what? Kyrie Irving told us that he'll come back as long as we get rid of James Harden and Kevin Durant. So let's trade them for peanuts on the dot. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, you never rule anything out. We both know that's not going to happen. But... I think what's fascinating about the Turner-Sabonis dynamic is this. I think Sabonis has a skill set that translates to more places. Everybody can use a, a big that is a great rebounder and can score around the basket. But a lot of people probably have a player like that. I think Turner might be the player that has the more trade value because he brings to the table something that is a little bit more unique. In other words, if you're having a a pitch-in dinner and you have somebody that brings to the table really good roasted turkey, that's wonderful, except for that probably a lot of people are bringing roasted turkey. You bring somebody that brings like an unbelievable spicy guacamole dip, maybe not as people like spicy guacamole but those that do are going to love it because you're the only one that brought it miles turner to me is a spicy guacamole he brings a skill set that is more rare within the nba in terms of a rim protector that offensively can be a bit of a stretch and i don't know that he has the lateral quickness to be a wing player obviously he doesn't but he can draw people out a little bit but if you are looking for an athletic big that can protect the rim and generate your offense via his defensive block and transition then Turner's your guy, and I don't. I think there are fewer of him. So he might actually covet more in return, despite the fact that there may be fewer teams that have that definitive like need for that, because maybe that's not the style they're looking for. 
but so my point being, I think it's probably one or the other. I don't know that that either one's play dips without the other. So you can hold on to one without the other without the other being there. But if the opportunity presented itself where both can get you good equal return, then they're probably both on the block. But you would have to, if you were going to trade both of them, either in one separate you know, or, or in one deal or two separate trades, you obviously would have to be getting some return that did include a big. I mean, that's that goes without saying. To me, guys, the thing where the Pacers have the greatest void and the greatest need is I just truly believe they need, I think in today's NBA, to win, you need two things. You need guys that can score on the wing, either through penetration or through a pull-up, and that includes, you know, obviously going out to the three-point line, and they can guard on the wing. And I don't know that Indiana has either of those. One of the things I think about Turner that teams might look take a critical look at is when you look at his rim protection ability, there may be teams that look at that critically with Miles Turner and say, how much of that is him being an elite rim protector and how much of that is him being the last line of defense on a defense that doesn't have anybody on the wings and is thus allowing people to get into the lane. And so therefore he has to get those blocks because somebody's got to get those statistics. That That's one thing I think comes into play, but, I just think they are anemic on the wings, and I think that's an area that Kevin Pritchard and Rick Carlisle would probably desperately love to get is a guy, and I know that there's not a lot of them, right, but a guy that is that Paul George level of play. I don't mean that that level of talent because that's very unique, but that style of play, a, a wing that can score from the outside and shut down wings from trying to do the same. Yeah, and I, and I think you bring up a good point there because one of the players that they do have on the roster who's injured right now is T.J. Warren who showed a lot of flashes of that in his one year under Nate McMillan. I mean, he was putting up, you know, numbers where there was a case he could have been an all-star. And then he gets the all-bubble team, just goes off. Domas is not there for that uh, as he was suffering with plantar fasciitis. So I'm just curious, you know, there was a, a little, you know, quote in there basically saying that the the Athletic said that T.J. Warren wants to remain in Indianapolis. Um Clearly, I don't think he has much value, obviously, with going through this injury and being an expiring contract. But what would you would you consider re-signing TJ Warren to a, to a multi-year contract in the offseason, knowing that you're going through a rebuild? And um, what, what do you think TJ Warren could bring to this team if he's able to just get back to, you know, close to what he was a couple of years ago? I think TJ Warren is a really good player if he is the third or fourth option on a good team. Yeah. I think if T.J. Warren is the horse you're going to ride, you're probably in trouble. And I like him a lot. There's nothing to not like about him. However, and guys, I want to make this emphatically clear. I don't have anything to base this on. I have no inside knowledge. This strictly goes off of years of, of covering teams and listening and reading tea leaves. I, I don't know that we know that T.J. Warren plays again, at least this season. And the problem is, if you're going to re-sign him, you know, how much are you willing to invest in him without getting ample body of work to know that he is back to what he was pre-injury? And he was a wonderful player. And, he, you know, the thing about T.J. Warren to me, I talked to people in the bubble. When T.J. Warren, you know, all of a sudden, T.J. Warren is like, whoa, like, here we go, right? Like, this is Reggie in the garden. Let's go, you know? And, and somebody said to me, they said, you know, he's a guy that just wants to play. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily get caught up in, like, the, the fan hoopla and full arenas and things like that. And the bubble was apparently very advantageous to TJ Warren because he liked kind of the intimacy of just an open gym type feel. No fans, no boomers shooting t-shirts into the crowd, no pacemates, just, just 10 guys and a floor. And that's what he was comfortable with. And he thrived in it. Obviously it goes without saying. So I think he's a very good player and perhaps he is, a player that has been not given enough credit. But I just think that his skill set has just enough limitation that if you're relying on that to be your guy or your secondary guy, you're probably in trouble. To me, he's more like, I mean, Robert Ory was a great player, but Robert Ory was a great player because he knocked down open shots when they rotated to him that weren't designed for him on a team full of three better options. And that's truthfully what I think of as T.J. Warren. I think the problem, and you touched on it on Warren, is the problem is there's a lot of guys that 
there's too much expectations on like Malcolm Brogdon. I don't believe should be the best player on any team. Uh, then you totally same, agree. same thing goes with Sabonis. I mean, and then you look at Lavert. Is Lavert expected to be you know maybe coming to the year could have been arguably the second best player on this team, maybe the third. I don't know. I just feel like then you look at TJ Warren. That was our leading scorer a few years ago, and the way that people have you know really wanted him to be back out there, bubble war and all that. Like you can't put that expectations on one guy. I mean, he was unbelievable in there, but to expect that on the season, it, it's too much. When you mentioned Warren should be the third or fourth best guy on, on, a, on a playoff team instead of being the Pacers leading scorer. So it makes me then wonder if they're looking towards making a big change, do you focus in on maybe one of those guys that could be available like a Ben Simmons or do you go the opposite route of let's trade for picks and younger players where it might set us back, but for the future, it could be better than rather than saying, hey, let's package a couple guys and just try and get that one all-star. I don't know at this point that they are a player or two away. I don't okay? think, I think So based on that, you know, the Pacers haven't had a single digited draft pick in 32 years. Right, 32 years since they had a guy that they took inside picks one through nine. And for the most part, that's how you build rosters. Now, you can have a roster full of busts at that pick, or you can pull you know, the, the insanity of taking Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn back-to-back. You know what I mean? I mean? You can screw that up. But look, let's, let's go back to just the roster in general. And I've said this a couple of times on our radio show. So I apologize for the redundancy, but I got to thinking about this and I thought, you know, if, if basketball is a, is a game of cards and Kevin Pritchard, Kevin Pritchard is sitting at the, at the table, the Pacers have a ton of really good high number cards. They've got a lot of nines and tens on their roster. They really only have one or two face cards. And I don't know that they have any Kings or aces, Malcolm Brogdon's a one-eyed jack because you know it's a good card, but that one-eyed jack always kind of has like a look on his face that you're not really totally sure that he's like on your team. You, you know, you, you, you kind of wonder. But – and Sabonis is obviously probably a jack. But outside of that, do they really have any kings or aces? Do they really have anybody that other franchises are like, I got to have that guy? I don't know that they do. And the biggest thing they don't have, and I don't think T.J. Warren's this guy, as I've always said, a get-the-hell-out-of-the-way guy. You know, I watch a lot of games, guys. I mean, probably not as much as you guys, admittedly. But I go down and I watch games, and I watch oftentimes very closely who's the alpha on the floor and the guy that late-in-game situations. And most NBA games, truthfully, come down to late-game situations. And then I look at what guys, when the ball's in their hand, is it just clearly understood by the rest of their team to get the hell out of the way. Miami has that guy. I've seen it in Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's got good talent around him. Tyler Hero's an emerging player, a, a wonderful talent. Bam Adebayo is a versatile player. But when the game's on the line, Jimmy Butler has a look in his eye where it's like, okay, it's my time, right? Obviously, even in Brooklyn, as good as James Harden is, I don't think there's any doubt about the fact that Kevin Durant is like, the ball's coming in my hands, and everybody's going to get the hell out of my way. I don't think the Pacers have had that in quite some time. I think Paul George thought he was that guy, and Paul George probably is that guy now. But unfortunately, the learning process of that came while he was in Indiana when he thought he was that guy, but he wasn't, and everybody knew he wasn't. Oladipo probably was that guy, and then he got hurt. So that's what the – I don't know. And the problem with an Indiana or a Milwaukee – or a probably Denver is more often than not, you get those guys by hitting on the draft with them and then growing them organically. I know that Oladipo, that doesn't fit the category, but you get what I'm saying. No, I get what you're saying too. And I think even though Paul George wasn't always the greatest closer, he did hit a lot of, you know, clutch baskets. He did. In that last one. Right. And, and, And at this point, the Pacers are just, They've been struggling to just find a guy to make a basket late in games. I know everybody says Brogdon's been pretty clutch uh, the last couple of years, but still, I mean, he's not a guy that can create for himself because he's too slow. His feet get stuck, and he, I mean, he tried to go around Anthony Edwards a couple of weeks ago against the, the T-Wolves, and he couldn't get around him, and then 
Justin Holiday has to throw up a, a crap three that's not even close. So it's just a, it's just a lot of misfitting pieces here. They're all you know good players, but they just don't fit well together. That's kind of been my my thoughts on this team. But a lot of criticism on, on social media, especially, has been aimed at Kevin Pritchard. And we know that Rick Carlisle was signed to this, you know, pretty expensive contract, $29 million for four years. And to, to go into a rebuild with a guy that's had that much experience and signed for that big of a contract, do you really think that, you know, he's all in on a rebuild? And, and is Kevin Pritchard really the right guy for this job to, to lead a rebuild? Here's the thing. I think Kevin is, is maybe at some point victim to human nature at no fault of his own. And by that, I mean, I think all of us are driven to, to be able to prove ourselves independently. And Kevin Pritchard did a nice job in Portland. And then obviously, you know, in very unique circumstances, he was relieved of his duties in Portland. So he comes to Indiana where he's tight with Larry and he has the benefit of just kind of working underneath and growing by observing Larry and Donnie both. And I think naturally, and I give him credit here. I mean, I understand this from a human nature standpoint. As Pritchard was eventually groomed to take over that office, quite frankly, if I'm Kevin Pritchard, I probably get tired of hearing all the time about what a benefit it is that I have access to Larry Bird and Donnie Walsh because I'm probably thinking to myself, but guys, there's a reason I was brought here. I've done this before myself. And so once those two moved on and, you know, they were both consultants and they were both had access and vice versa, you know, and, and look, all three of them get along very, very well. Don't get me wrong. But once the two of them were kind of out of the picture, then I think Kevin Pritchard thought, okay, here it is. It's finally my baby. And so when he had his first signature coaching hire decision to make, I think it's understandable in human nature that he went away from the grain by going with the guy that was going to be his discovery and that was going to be his stamp and his footprint on it and that was going to be his, his wingman towards the promised land. And it didn't work out. And I will give Kevin Pritchard credit for realizing very early on that it didn't work out and making the proper change. And while I don't know this, it would seem to be conventional wisdom that the hire of Rick Carlisle was perhaps the message from above him of you had your chance for your signature hire and decided to go in another direction. So now we're going to advise on who we'd like you to bring in as your hire. Now, obviously, Carlisle was kind of an obvious choice, but the amount of money that Carlisle got, if I'm Kevin Pritchard, I'll simply say, makes me uncomfortable. Simply that. And I and look, I think he has a history with Rick and likes Rick a lot. And I think the two of them get along, obviously. But it would make me uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, the, we, we talked about it. Carlisle is basically a top five, you know, highest paid coach in the league. And when you're talking about now entering a, a really a crossroads of, are we rebuilding? Are we not? I mean, this was really the first time where it felt like the Pacers really spent on this coaching staff. Even well, let me ask you this. The money that he's making, when you saw the figure that Rick Carlisle's making, does that strike you? And I'm asking this rhetorically. But does that strike you as the salary for a coach? Or does that strike you for the salary of a coach executive? You know, we, we thought about that before, is that Carlisle could transition. They could, you know, that's a great point because – we did think that, hey, you know, he, he's getting older. What if he does transition into a front office? And now you really have me thinking here because I don't think that Carlisle really would have wanted to be just coaching a rebuild unless, unless maybe they know, hey, no matter what happens, you're going to have your say in this. And well, it sounded like the last thing I would say was basically it feels like he, he got hired knowing if it doesn't work out with the bigs, it's fine. You can move it. But I feel like Carlisle – was the one saying, let me give it a shot, try and make it work. I, I think Carlisle, first off, I think Carlisle, I, 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 don't, I don't pretend that Carlisle came here because he was offered something beyond the coaching position or that was discussed. But I think Kevin, or, or excuse me, I think Rick Carlisle came here for a couple of reasons. Number one, obviously he and Kevin know each other. But number two, if Rick Carlisle was not going to remain in Dallas and he has a daughter that was born here, 
who is finishing high school. And my understanding is he's staying in Dallas to do that. But, you know, his wife was a part of the community here. His wife really liked it here. His wife worked in one of the children's hospitals here. I mean, Carlisle was a part of this community for certain. So it was a familiar landing spot for him and a comfortable one. Comfortable is probably the better word I would say for it. It was a comfortable place for him to end up. All of that to be said, when I heard the number he got, my first and immediate response was, that sounds to me like, I mean, we're talking, I'm not certain that it's not more than Kevin makes. So that just led me to believe that's a lot of money for a coach. I'll simply say that that's a lot of money for a coach. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things too, like when I, when I go back and look at, they let Kevin Pritchard have his hire of Nate Bjorkren and it was so, so bad with how he handled people couldn't get assistance in here and the team, the locker room kind of lost it. I think, you know, if you fire a coach after one season, the next coach has to be brought in. That's someone you can trust. And I think that is why Carlisle was brought in here. And I think, you know, before this point, as the report was said today, Herb Simon still is trying to win. And you feel like you can trust Rick Carlisle. And, and you talked about it. Herb Simon is a guy that trusts people very well. I, I don't recall the last time a president of basketball operations has ever been fired by Herb Simon, um, probably for Donnie Walsh. But, I mean, Donnie never got fired. He stepped away. Same with Larry and now Kevin. So I think Kevin will probably step away before he's fired. But I, I do think that Carlisle was brought in more so to be part of a tandem with that front office, in my opinion. Yeah, because... I don't think Kevin's departure is imminent by any right. stretch of the imagination. And I don't think that Kevin's – I don't think that Kevin Pritchard's job right now is in jeopardy. I don't. But yeah. I think that there is – you know, I'll, I'll go back to something that was told to me in an interview with the Pacers years ago. And I remember it, it was towards the end of the tenure of Donnie Walsh. And I was interviewing Donnie Walsh just about his, you know, his career coming to an end in Indiana before he went to New York um, and before he came back as a consultant. But I remember, as, I remember Donnie saying to me something that I've always found very telling, and I think it's applicable beyond just basketball. It's applicable no matter what walk of life somebody's in that's listening to this. Uh, it's not to say that I've adhered to it, but he said, what's funny to me, this was Donnie Walsh speaking, was some of the moves to which I was given credit and some of the things that worked out in our favor as an organization, people don't realize were not the moves that I originally envisioned. But I learned very early in my career that, and I'm paraphrasing, that the moves that I had in mind, I needed to always have three moves for every one that was executed so that if that one didn't work out, I could immediately go to a backup plan and run with that. I think obviously you saw that in New York when he signed Amari Stoudemire, for example. You can debate till the cows come home whether or not that was the right decision. But there was a plan B to be quickly executed when plan A did not work out. I think there were moves that happened with Indiana from a roster standpoint that worked out for Indiana that were actually plan B's because plan A went awry or didn't fall into their lap. The reason I say all of that is to say, I think that Rick Carlisle, I don't think that there was an overt plan to have Rick Carlisle eventually be an executive for the Pacers. And he may never be. I, I don't have anybody that has told me Rick Carlisle came here to eventually become a front office person other than I know that there is the mindset of people who have been in that position that have counseled and talked and consulted at times over the course of the last few years that always discussed the importance of having an auxiliary plan ready to be executed. And to me, it's very telling. That'll definitely be something that, you know, remains to be seen over the next few years, something we'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, for my last question is the Pacers have always been very upfront with their players, letting them know, Hey, so-and-so has been calling about you. You know, there's a chance. And the players have credited the Pacers front office about that in the past. However, when things aren't going well this year, and now this article comes out with, you know, potentially moving one of Sabonis, Levert, Turner, how do you think the Pacers players are going to respond from here on out? Do you think if they're losing, everything goes as, as asked and, you know, the course, or do you think this could kind of backfire on the team a bit? Um, 
you know, I don't know how much internally the players are kept abreast. I mean, I, I have no reason to believe that they're not told those things. You are correct in the fact that the precedent was there for a very long time. The only player really of the last marquee player that I know of that was traded without consultation was Jalen Rose. And Jalen Rose was not pleased about it. And I think harbored some ill will about it. And to the point where um, I think it was a huge regret. I mean, I think that Donnie Walsh would tell you, as a matter of fact, I think he's publicly on record of saying that one of his true regrets in his time was that he did not talk to Jalen ahead of time before dealing him. And I think he felt very bad about that. And so I think, again, the, the precedent is exactly that of which you speak. Whether or not that's taking place now, I would imagine that every player has at the minimum been told, hey, we are open to discussions and you are a possibility. Now, I don't know that it would go to the extent of what teams would you prefer to go to? And that has taken place in the past where a player, you know, they will say, look, we're, we're trying to make our roster better. And, you know, teams A, B, and C have inquired about you. Do you have a preference? Because we will try to cater to that. I don't know that that's taking place. But I would imagine and I would hope, I will give benefit of the doubt here in saying that I, I would hope that the players that are involved know that there's the possibility they're involved. But at the same time, when you are a professional basketball player, like, look, guys, I work in, I work in local radio. I... 20 months ago was let go from a job and people asked me, you know, what was that like, you know, to be laid off? And, and, and I'm like, it, it was a Tuesday. That's what it was like because I knew working in local radio, that is always a possibility always. And you plan for it. And so, and the same holds true now, but because that's just the reality of the business that we're in. And I would think for a professional athlete, it's the same. And quite frankly, if, those kinds of rumors or headlines are enough to rattle a guy's style of play, then he probably just might as well be on your trade block anyway. Yeah, I agree with that, Jake. And so we have about three minutes left here before we're up against the time. And I just have one final question for you. Just want to get your thoughts on what are the expectations for Pacer fans for the rest of the season? Or should we expect this team to try to win games? We, we were told that they want to try to get Isaiah Jackson more minutes, but at a, at, how many minutes should we be expecting for him and that kind of thing? So I'm just curious, do you expect, hey, we're just going to try to lose games or do you think they're trying to win still and then just make moves with some of these players? I think the latter. I, I don't think, you know, I, I think that the Pacers will always go back to, like if you look at the 94 season when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I realize that 27 years ago is not today's NBA. I'm not naive. But nonetheless, we as humans with any walk of life always resort back to those things with which we're familiar to use as a baseline or a blueprint or a roadmap moving forward. And Herb Simon was the owner in that era and in that team. And still some of those that have the ear of Kevin Pritchard were involved. And that team did not get off to a great start under Larry Brown. They were still under 500, I think, heading into April. And then it all came together. They made some moves at the trade deadline. Guys gelled together. It came together, and before you knew, and they bought into Larry Brown, who was not an easy coach necessarily to play for. So I think that that is in the back of the mind, maybe as you know, a little bit of a fallback of yeah, things haven't gone well, but with with a move here and there, and guys buying into a coach that can be demanding and Rick Carlisle, then we still it's a long, 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 long season. Do I think that Indiana is going to be a top three team in the East? Of course not. Do I think the Pacers are going to be a deep playoff team this year? Of course not. Do I think they're going to completely tank and say, we're doing the basketball equivalent of suck for luck? I do not. Right. I think that they will make some tweaks and adjustments to try to get themselves into position to be in position. But I don't think that they're going to sacrifice the season to do it. And that might be the, I might be the most naive person on the planet, but that's really what I think. Yeah, I, I think I'm in agreement with you there, Jake. So really appreciate you taking the time to come on, uh, make your debut on Setting the Pace. And I think you're doing a great job with uh, Kevin Bowen in the mornings, really enjoying your guys' show and your podcast and not able to catch it. So where can we find you at on social media and uh, anything you'd like to plug? Well, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I have two jobs. I'm fortunate in that regard. Um, but as you mentioned, the primary job is every morning from 7 to 10 a.m. I'm on 93.5 and 107.5 FM in Indianapolis on Kevin and Query. That can also be found uh, on YouTube Live at Kevin and Query and then on 
the podcast at 1075thefan.com. In addition to that, I do a weekly podcast with Derek Schultz, who I've had a long partnership with. That's available at Query and Schultz, Q-U-E-R-Y is my last name, um, on all of the you know podcast forms. And then obviously my Twitter account, which is at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y. But guys, I appreciate it. I grew up in this town. Um, you know, I, I dreamed as a kid of being able just to talk about sports in this town. And I never really thought that that would come to reality for me. I still keep waiting for somebody to tell me, obviously, that that uh, it's not going to be a reality for me. But to have guys like you that are diligent about what you do, that are knowledgeable about what, about what you do, and that do an excellent job in promoting the, the teams themselves within the area that people can go to their information, to trust me to be able to help you spread that word is something I appreciate greatly. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Jake. All right, Fachi. So that wraps up today's show. Pretty lengthy stuff, but I thought we had a lot to talk about and a lot of great stuff from Jake Query. But let's not get into anything, anything else. Let's just let people know where they can find us at on social media. All right. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore FACCI. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you're a fan of the Indiana Pacers, openly announcing that they're going to make some moves to try to rebuild slash retool this roster, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.